We are continuing in Joshua chapter 6. And so let me, let me just go over the map again so you remember where we were in, in, in dealing with this. So the, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Um, uh, and there is some speculation on that, whether it was 280 years or 400 years. It, it, it depends on really where you look in the Bible. And some scholars think it was 280 years, and, and so that would have been explosive growth, which is what the Bible in, indicates in their populational growth. But in any case, they came up, the, and, and they were 40 years in the wilderness down in this area. Egypt's down over here. And then they came down under the Dead Sea and first came up on this side of the Jordan, attacked two kings, Sion and Og, on this side of the Jordan, overcame them. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are going to stay on this side of the Jordan. This is the Jordan, the river that runs from the, the, the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. And so, so two and a half tribes are going to stay on this side and the remaining of the 12 tribes are going to come across to this side, although the fighting men, I think it was 30,000 or 50,000 of the fighting men, are, are, going to, are participating with them. They've come right across. They crossed the Jericho here. They, I'm sorry, they crossed the Jordan here. And, and then they camped at this place called Gilgal, which is just on the plains of Jericho. Jericho is 900 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is, is, is the lowest point on earth. The city of Jericho, or sometimes called in the Bible the city of Palms, is a very, very uh, agriculturally rich area because you have all of these mountains, which you can see here, these Jerusalem mountains, the, these mountains of, of uh, Judea and, and Ephraim mountains. They all pour their water right down into Jericho. So it's extremely fertile to this day. And, the, and uh, uh, this is the area that they, they are going to attack. Next week, what we're going to talk about is their attack on this town of Ai. Ai is about uh, 2,600 feet above sea level. And so they go from a very low point to a much higher point. So it's about 3,500 feet. They're going to trek up this mountain to attack Ai. And uh, uh, so this is where they are in, 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 in just on the plains of Jericho. And we talked last time about the attack on Jericho. And so let's pick it up in Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. We'll, we'll recover some of the verses that we read previously. But in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 6, Then on the seventh day they arose early at the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. So twice he tells us in that sentence that that seventh day they did seven times. So for the first six days it was one time each day. Remember, that city is up on a mount, so it's, it's down in a valley, but the, the, the city itself is, just, is up on a, on a low mount. And the city is about two and a half or three square blocks. It's about nine acres is, is what was in that walled city. So it was easy to walk around that in, in 20 minutes or so. You could easily walk around it keeping a hundred meter or so distance away from the wall so you wouldn't get, get shot from the wall. And, and it says at the, in verse 16, At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So, previously he had told the people not to speak a word. So, for the, first, for, so for the 13 times that they went around the city, that once a day for six days plus that seven, they were not to say a word. The, the seven priests were to blow seven ram's horns. And you... 
marching around the city. Remember what it was? It was the, the, uh, it was the guard. It was the priests blowing the trumpets. It was the ark, meaning that, that, uh, um, that structure that they had built for the tabernacle in the wilderness, the place where God dwelt. It was covered with blankets, carried by the Levites. Behind that, more, more priests. And, uh, behind, I'm sorry, behind that were more guards. And then behind that, all the rest of the people. They would march around. And it says that now he told them to shout. It was at that shout the walls fell flat. And it particularly speaks here that the walls fell flat. So it's believed that the ground actually opened up and the walls fell into it because it says twice that they ran straight ahead. They weren't climbing over big boulders. They ran each man straight ahead as God had said to them. So it was really a miraculous thing. This is the time that God is going to show miracles in the way they did the assault on the city. For the rest of the taking, there's very few miracles. There's a miracle now and then, but it's generally based purely upon military strategy for the attack. In this case, it was not based upon military strategy. Why would you march around a city 13 times and shout, very non-military-like, and then all of a sudden the walls fall down? This is not the way militaries normally work. Every other attack is going to have a specific strategy for overcoming the particular area that they're taking. Looking at the topology, coming up with some, some uh, uh, mechanism by which they're going to deceive the people. God does something by a miracle here. God works in our lives often by miracles, but most often not by miracles. By miracle, I mean, because people have different, different senses of, of miracle. You say, you know, I got to school today in seven minutes. You know, usually it takes me ten, and they're like, wow, that's a miracle. No. Actually, a miracle is, is, if you look at it scripturally, the physical laws have been violated. In other words, the laws of thermodynamics. Something drastic has changed here. And, And this, having the ground open up and the walls come crashing down, physical laws of God were, of, of the world were changed. So it is not a closed system. God can come into it from the outside. And he did, he did this. Most of the other cities that they're going to take, other than, than the sun standing in the, in the sky and things like that, that, there were not miracles. It was mostly based on strategy. And this is what most of our life is. Now, I'll tell you uh, and something that I've seen, particularly with young people, and, and even a little bit younger than you, generally high school students, will go off on some mission trip. And then when they come back from this mission trip, they were so touched on this mission trip. It was just like magnificent, so amazed. And they get back and they start instructing their parents on how weak their parents walk with the Lord is and how they should be more fervent for the Lord. And then you give them a chance to stand up in church and share on a Sunday and they'll, they'll attack the congregation. That they, you know, we, we need to be more excited for the Lord. And, and so now they're the banner carrier for excitement for the Lord. You give it two or three weeks, they're back to normal. You know, looking at their iPhones all the time and, and every, everything is back to normal for them. And so what happens is you can go through a time where you see God's power really displayed. But life is not normally like that in that magnificent sense. Not that God is not real in your life. It's just that you've got to get up, put your pants on in the morning, brush your teeth in the morning and go through the daily things of life and go to work and all these other things. You saw miracles, but 
That's not to say that God is no longer with you. It's not to say God is no longer with them in all the other cities that they're going to attack. It's just that He displayed to them great miracles through the wilderness. He, he, he displayed to them, He dried up the... Uh, uh, he held back the waters of the Jordan when they crossed. He had the, the walls come collapsing down, miracle after miracle. Now he's going to get them back to normal strategies of life. It is learning how to walk with God in the normal times of life. When God is doing great and magnificent things and there's revival going on, it's much easier to walk with God because God is all around you doing things. But what he brings us into is a life of normalcy in the sense that we have to go through the normal routines of life. You still got to get your kids to the school in the morning. You still got to change their diapers. You got to do all these other things. You got to take your exams. All the miracles in the world are not going to generally help you with your exams. God may help you miraculously once. He might bend the laws of thermodynamics for you. But in general, you're going to have to study for your exams. That's just the way life is going to work for you. This is what He's displaying to us. And, and so, then He says... Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17. So, verse 16, he says, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He has given you the city. But now, with His giving you the city, there are certain parameters. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that, it, that, all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of, them, some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the shout, heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout and the walls fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead. And he took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. So Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house, bring up the woman and, and all she has out of there, as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. And they also brought out all their, her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom... Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So he said, the city is yours, but everything that belongs in it. And we covered two weeks ago this total destruction, the total wiping out of everybody that was to live on that side, on the, east, on, on the uh, uh, west side of the Jordan. So if you, if, if you think, oh, you, you know, why is God so cruel? Why wiping out men, women, and children? We already addressed that. Go back online and listen to that. I already gave a whole teaching on that. So... So you see here that there was a treasury that they would take everything and put it in the treasury. He says, the city is yours, but everything in it that's of value is going to go into the house of the Lord. It is under the ban. 
There are things that are holy. There are things that are to be kept separate. We are going to speak about that in more detail next week. But what's important to, to see here is I want to address two things. First of all, this ban. He puts within him, he says, he says in, in verse, verse 17, the city shall be under the ban, it and all that, that, are in, that belongs to the Lord. And then he, he goes in verse 18, he says, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of them take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. There are things that he says we cannot have. He put upon them, there are things under the ban. In other words, you see silver, you see gold there, you see bronze. That you are to take and put in the house of the Lord. That is not for you. The next cities that they're going to accomplish, that's fine. They can take whatever they see there, they can gather. But in Jericho, the first city, that is the Lord's. That is the Lord's. He put upon them some restrictions. There are restrictions that God has for us. There, there are restrictions that we are not to do certain things. We cannot do as we would like. So, for example, in marriage, there is a covenant relationship in marriage. And let me just say, I have, I've spoken in depth on, on uh, uh, that sexual relationship both in marriage and outside of marriage. If you were to go to my website, jmtour.com, or just Google Jim Tour, it'll come up. Under the personal topic section, audio files, series, you'll see a series on scriptural sexual ethics. If you've not listened to that, you ought to. It is three and a half hours long. It is in half hour increments. And so you can just you know, plug those things in your ears and walk around and hear it. It is important for you to hear that. I spent several hundred hours preparing for those messages, and that was 10 years ago, uh, more, than t- more than 10 years ago. But the message still works. If you follow what is there, you will not undergo the pain of divorce. You say, how do you know that? Because it's been statistically proven. Not because I teach certain things in there where the people that practice those things almost never get divorced. 50% of the people in the church get divorced. That means that 50% of you, half of this room, is going to undergo the pain of divorce. And if you think that that can't happen to you, it's all the more likely to happen because you're filled with pride thinking it can't happen. It can happen to anybody. You listen to that, and it's been statistically proven, the people who practice that. Now, the way you listen to that series, it's it's very interesting. There's a precise order. You go to part one. When you're done with part one, you go to part two, then part three. You've got to go in that order, because it builds one upon another. And what it does is it begins to give you an understanding of what the marriage relationship means, and also what is the line for the unmarried. What is the line for the unmarried? You think that, you know, well, if you're engaged, it's okay to to sleep together. It is not. What happens is, this is under the ban. It is under the ban. So that what happens is, if uh, um, if you compromise on moral standards outside the bonds of marriage, once you are within the bonds of marriage, it will be easier for you to compromise on the moral standards. You will know your spouse to be one who compromises on moral standards because they compromised with you before marriage. 
So it will be all the easier for them to compromise with another once you're in marriage. There are moral standards that God has that keeps, keep us under the ban in a sense. He says, you shall, he says to him, very specific here, and the New American Standard is, is, tries to go by a very literal sense where the New, New International Version is a paraphrase of what the Scriptures say. And so the way the New American Standard says it, he, he says, uh, the city shall be under the ban. It and all that, belong, all, all that is in it belongs to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 18. He says, but as for you, only keep yourself from the things under the ban. First thing, keep yourself from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them. In other words, if you expose yourself to this too much, you'll start coveting them. Coveting means that you'll start longing for them. You go ahead. You look at that brick of gold and you just start spending some time looking at that for a while. And before you know it, you'll start coveting that. You'll really want to have it. As soon as your eye sees that piece of gold, just drop a, a rag over it and, and de deposit it with Joshua for the house of the Lord. Don't spend time with it. You mess around with pornography. Spend time with pornography. It will draw you in. It will draw you in. As soon as that thing pops up on your screen, get rid of it. Get rid of it. The more time you spend with it, the more you will covet it and the less you'll be able to deal with it. And I know this because I'm one who has come out from a, a, a life where I was addicted to pornography as a teenager. And I talk about that in that series on scriptural sexual ethics and how you can overcome, overcome and be liberated from pornography. When you spend, he says, he, he says, uh, um, he says, keep yourself from the things under the band so that you do not covet them. If you spend time alone with a young lady in an apartment studying, things happen. You're studying together, your legs start touching underneath the table. And things then start progressing and you end up in bed with that young lady. You say, how do you know that? Because I've seen it many, many times. I've worked with people. I was working with college students before most of you were born. I was working with college students who have gone before you. So you don't put yourself in situations where you can end up in this. And this is what he's saying. He says, he says, keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you don't covet them. You keep yourself out of situations so that you don't start to covet them and get caught in it. And so to this day, if a woman comes to my office, if a female student comes to my office, the door stays open. What am I worried about? That I'm, I'm going to grab her as soon as I shut the door? No, but it's because I have a sense that I am not going to even give myself a chance where the Scriptures say that you are to free yourself from the appearance of evil. From even the appearance of evil. So say my door is shut for an hour, and then all of a sudden, me and some young female student come walking out. I mean, I want to be free of the appearance of evil. The door stays open. My secretary knows that, that when she comes in the office, the door stays open. She knows that if a young lady comes in the office and shuts the door behind her, she is to get up and open that door. And I usually meet her at the door because the first thing I do is I say, come in, sit down, and I go over and I open the door. You keep the door open. You go through certain standards in life to keep yourself from that thing before you start coveting it. And then once you start to covet it, you grab it and you take hold of it. And we see the result of that. There are certain things that are under the ban. It says in Joseph, for Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, 
he was a slave in a certain home. And the, and, 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 uh, the woman of the home kept coming on to him, kept hitting on him, and just saying very vivid. It wasn't, wasn't uh, subtle. She'd say, lie with me. I mean, there's no subtleness in this. And it says that finally, you know, he had to work in the house. She grabbed him by his tunic and he ran out without it. What did he do? He ran. This is exactly the way you deal with this. God's given you two legs. Use them. You run. You run from these things. You don't just, I can handle this. I'll be fine. I can just stay in this room with this young lady. Nothing will happen to me. No, you use your legs and you run. You go. You, can, you, you study at Starbucks. Study in a more public place. The door stays open. There are steps that you take so that you do not fall into this place of coveting where you're longing for it. And this, that's why he said very distinctly, he says, keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them. You keep yourself from certain situations so that you don't fall into sin. This is what he's talking about. It is serious business because you will destroy your life through these simple little things will destroy your life. What I'm giving you are secrets for the preservation of your life and for your family. Then he goes on. He says, <clears throat> he says in verse 17, The city shall be under the ban, it and all that belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live. Because... <clears throat> she hid the messengers whom we sent. This is an amazing time. These people are about to shout. The walls are going to come falling down except for that little section of the wall where Rahab has hung out that little red, red uh, 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 that, that scarlet, scarlet cord. And that's not going to fall. In there, her and her relatives and all of their household are going to be in there. With all of this commotion going on, with all of the miracles that God is doing, He says, don't forget your word to that harlot. Don't forget your word to that prostitute. Don't forget your word because your word means something. Why would God, as He's describing this amazing miracle, where He's going to have the walls just sink into the ground so that everybody can run straight ahead, they're not climbing over big boulders. Why would He spend so much time on Rahab because of a commitment that was made by the spies. <clears throat> then he goes on. He says, uh, um, Joshua in verse 22, Joshua said to the two men, isn't Joshua busy? I mean, he's leading an army into a battle. And he stops again and he calls over the two men. He says, remember, we have a commitment to a prostitute. Oh, come on. She's just a prostitute. You know, she... You know, it might be some collateral damage. All right, a few of her, you know, nephews and nieces get killed. I mean, you know. he says, no, you have made a commitment to them. You honor it. You honor your commitment. <clears throat> Verse 22, Joshua, he calls over the two spies. I mean, the two spies want to go in and take this city. He says, no, you made a, a promise. You're going to keep your promise. He said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house Bring the woman and all that she has of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. I mean, and, 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 and they also brought out her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. See, and all she had. 
I mean, these two guys are piling stuff on their back. Oh, you're here. Okay, here, t- carry this for me. I mean, and it's, it's not just her mother, it's fathers, brothers, everybody, and all the nieces, everybody wanted to be her relative. I mean, every like, fourth, fifth, removed, everybody wanted to be related to her. And the guys were like, I thought it was just you, and maybe your mother and father. What's going on? Well, you said, all my relatives. And so the place is just filled with people and stuff. They brought all their stuff. I mean, all the picture albums, all, all the things that, 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 that they've got to bring with them. But this was a commitment they made. Look how much time God is taking out of Joshua chapter 6, the overcoming of the city of Jericho, spending it on a prostitute, talking about a prostitute. But the word that had to be kept. And they placed them outside the camp. So they brought them outside the camp and they burned the city with fire. And then it says, however, Rahab the harlot, in verse 25, and her father's household and all she had, Every one of her belongings, everything. Do, do you really need those hair curlers? I mean, I mean, you would be amazed what women like to bring with them when they travel. I mean, it's a suitcase. I used to be in the infantry. Now, then I got married, I became a supply sergeant. I mean, there was just so much stuff that I had to carry in bags. I never checked that, even to this day. I will travel overseas for a week just on carry-on. How can you do it? I don't know. I just can do it. I just don't want to check baggage. You're a lot more mobile. You can hop on this flight, get on that flight, whatever you got to do. And then when Shireen's with me, I, I got one huge suitcase just for shoes. <laughs> and then, then you get children and you got, you got uh, uh, play pens and carriers and all sorts of bags of all sorts of things. And anyway, this is what it was like. I was Rahab and all of her stuff. And it says, she, he says, however, Rahab, the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, meaning at the time of the writing, she's still living there. For she hid the messengers whom Joshua spent to, sent to spy out Jericho. And we know from the New Testament that she's the great-grandmother of King David in the line of the Messiah. And so, you see the honoring of a word, the keeping of a word, how much God spends time in this chapter worrying about keeping the Word. I want you to turn to, to Psalm chapter 15. So, Psalm 15. Psalm chapter 15. A, a, a short psalm. It's only five verses. Psalm chapter 15, verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, he does not, he, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Look at that. That means I make a commitment. I tell somebody I'm going to do something. I make a promise to somebody. It's not just that I use the word, I, it was, well, I said it, but I didn't say promise. No, you make a commitment to somebody. Even if it costs you now something, he swears to his own hurt. Those men swore to Rahab, we will take care of you and your household. They had no idea all the relatives she had. Remember, she's a prostitute. I mean, they, 
There's a lot there. I mean, a lot of relatives that, that come there. A lot of men that she's had. A lot, of, a lot of husbands that she probably had. There's a lot of people. The promise was made. You're going to keep that promise. You make a promise, you keep it. You make a promise, you keep it. You want to have a good life, you make a promise and you keep it, even if it costs you something. He says it swears to his own hurt and he does not change. Well, you know, I didn't know that if I told him that I would do this, that you know, it would take me out of my way this much. It doesn't matter. You told them you would do it. Now, if you can't do it, you, then you go and you find a way. You, you go make some arrangement or you go and discuss something with them so that some other arrangement can be made. But you don't just ignore the thing. You make a promise, you keep it. This is what God is displaying to us. He spends all this time thinking about Rahab. And God, don't, don't you have other things to write about here? I mean, the Bible is just a limited book. There's only so many words. Why are you so worried about this woman and her family? Because a promise was made to her. Because there was a promise that was made. And I'm going to keep the commitment. How we need to learn to keep commitments. He says he swears to his own hurt and he does not change. Verse 5, he does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. What a promise. He who does these things. This short little book. This short little chapter. Psalm Psalm 15. You do these little things on this list. You will never be shaken. I want to take hold of that promise. I want to take hold of it. You will never be shaken. So all sorts of things may be shaking in the world. All sorts of economies may be crumbling and things falling around you. But you do these things and you will never be shaken. He swears to his own hurt and he does not change. You look at the amount of time that he spends concerned about the house of a prostitute. You know, in war, prostitutes are nothing. Women are treated as nothing. They're just raped and tossed away. Women are not Here, so much focus on the house of a prostitute. In the midst of a battle, because a promise was made, you, you tell somebody you're going to do something, you keep your word. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. You keep your word. God cares about these sort of things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for these young people. And I pray, Lord, that they would swear to their own heart they would swear and keep it even if it's to their own hurt. That, you would learn to, that they would learn to be men and women of great faith and great honor. If they accept a job, and that they wouldn't just the next day reject the job and go, go accept something that looks better. But Father, that they would give their word and honor it. Father, I pray that you cause them to honor their word. That they would look at what the Scriptures have said that how much you cared for the honor of giving one's word to a prostitute. Father, I pray that you would teach them and this day you would change their hearts and they would never forget this message. And Lord, I pray that they would also never forget the message that there are things under the ban, things that they are restricted from doing because they call themselves by your name. Father, I pray that there would be healthy and strong marriages as a result from these young people. 
Lord, I pray for your grace. I pray, O oh Lord, for your grace in their lives. Father, I pray for those here who do not know you, the grace of God surround them and that it would be the kindness of God that would draw them to repentance. Lord, your grace abound. And Father, I commit these young people to you. Protect their marriages, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.